verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, and the fullness of the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again just thank you for the gift that you've given us of life in Christ as we've placed our faith in him. Thank you for saving us, forgiving us, cleansing us, for imparting to us, God, your very life, that we might have fellowship with you. We have now, God, that privilege of walking in the light with you. Thank you, God, for loving us, for the ministry of your Spirit who teaches us and guides us into all that is good and true. And I pray, Lord, that you would, in this time, as we look at your word and think on you, that you would strengthen our hearts, our faith, Lord, that we would walk with you humbly and in purity and simplicity of faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I just want to um, just thank Larry for the um, communion remarks, and again, um, just appreciate the update on Yvonne and, and her sister. We, this is not just a time of, of great um, need for the Gulf Coast here in Texas, and um, I think, you know, I can speak for all of us that we really appreciate that our president has called for a national day of prayer today. Um, don't even know if the man knows Christ, but um, he does appear to be a God-fearing man, at least at this point. Maybe it's the weight of the office that's causing him to see that it's too much for him. Um, but I appreciate that he, it's been the first time in a long time that a president has called for a national day of prayer. And um, it is the difficult times that, that cause us to see that we are not at any means adequate, and we need the Lord. And, um, and he would have us, obviously, to live in a sense of dependency and to cry out to him every day because we need him desperately every day. But God does bless, and he is good, and by God's grace... Uh, most of us go extended periods of time, sometimes even years, without a lot of just great trials. It is purely the grace of God. And so it is also His grace and wisdom that He allows um, national things to take place, natural disasters to take place that would um, just remind us that we live desperate for Him. Houses, all that, um, not nearly as great a need as just for himself. Um, I've been working through some topics concerning bibliology, revelation, inspiration, inerrancy. 
that kind of thing. And, and this morning I, I um, had on my heart to talk about illumination. And, and really illumination is, is another work of the Spirit of God. And it, is, it, is, it, is, it happens where, and what it's about is just simply the Spirit of God giving understanding to the reader of God's Word and of the person of Jesus Christ. This is God's Word. It is generated by the Holy Spirit, God speaking to us. That will never change. God doesn't need to improve upon His Word. We often pray, God, open your Word to me. We really should be praying, open my eyes to your Word. Because the problem is not the Word. The problem is with us. And we, even though we have placed our faith in Christ, we need the Spirit's work to understand truly what God has said. Larry said that verse there from Hebrews is like the first time he ever read it. That's what the Spirit of God does. That is is what illumination is. That God takes his word and makes it fresh and vital and real in each of our experience. There's one of this in Psalm 119, which is becoming one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Verse 18, it says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from thy law. It's not open your word, but open my eyes, that I might understand your word. So I just want to say, um, I am as much in need of this as anyone is, the illuminating work of the Spirit of God. And not simply that we would understand what God's word says, and have our heads filled, and have all the answers, all the questions answered. But it's so that we might know Christ, and walk with Him. Paul was as aware of this need as anybody. He himself was in need of God's illuminating work, and he prayed for God's illuminating work in the lives of other people. So that's why this passage here in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, or in other words, illumined. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know not just the Bible and what it says, but the reason he wants to open us to the Scripture and the Scripture to us is that we might know the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Um, This is not about me. But I, I will share with you, not for pity or anything else, um, this has been an interesting month for me. Um, there have been, been several people, several meaning three, um, which is not a lot, but who have um, just really kind of gone after me. And accuse me of things that, that are not true, and, and it's been with quite a bit of anger. And, um, and, and in me, it appears to be irrational and unfounded, but nonetheless hurtful. And, and I have to take these things to the Lord and say, God, what is it you're wanting to do in me? And there, it's very difficult to know how to respond, and, and, and I just can feel very defeated with it. We all go through things like this. 
And, and whether it's something like that or whether it's health or physical or financial. And I can tell you, as I've said many times, um, you know, coming to church, I feel is often more for me than it is for anybody else. Because I need God's work in my own heart to come and be ministered to by the Lord. And he does that through his people, through the songs we sing, through the reading of his word, through a, a communion devotional that's given. And it's all the Spirit's ministry to us. God never intended for us to live on our own. We need his word. But his word would just be just simply print on a page. If it weren't for the ministry of God's Spirit to care for us, to nurture our souls and to comfort us and to lead us and, and give us what our hearts need. We need the Spirit of God to work. So illumination is the supernatural help granted by the Holy Spirit to the reader of Scripture. That's different than inspiration. Inspiration is where the Spirit of God was working through men to author Scripture. God's not doing that. He's not authoring Scripture today. But He is illuminating the reader to understand what He's already written. We need that. Illumination is something that should be the, the work of the Spirit of God to give understanding in God's Word is something that will take place throughout our entire lives. It is a constant, permanent ministry of the Spirit given to those who are in Christ. I've, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is when Jesus was walking after his resurrection, and he's walking on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples. And they are so discouraged because their Lord and Savior has been crucified. And they don't yet know that he's risen from the dead. And I tell you, if I, if I were ever could put a stained glass window in a church, it would be a, a, of, of a little picture that was in our children's Bible storybook where Jesus is, is walking along the road to Emmaus and he's got either the, one of those disciples on both sides of him and his arms are over their shoulders. And they are so discouraged. And Jesus just has this hope written all over his face, and there's almost, you know, just, just not pity, but just, guys, it's not that bad. It's good, man. This is a great day. And you can just see it in his face, and he's walking down the road, hugging these two men with his arms over their shoulders, and they're so discouraged, and Jesus is going. And you can just see, because he's about to open their hearts to understand all the scripture says about him. And I go, that's the work of illumination. That's the ministry of the Spirit. Because we can be so discouraged. It's like Jesus comes around and just says, let me put my arm around your shoulder and show you me in my word. And that's what the Spirit's wanting to do, in which we all need. And the Spirit is committed to in each of our lives, our entire life. Not just to answer our questions because there are so many things in Scripture we will never understand. But to lead us to Jesus, who is himself the answer to every question. Illumination is the permanent work of the Spirit. It will be ever increasing in the life of the believer. It should be. It's something we all need. 
It doesn't mean that God is going to make every passage of Scripture clear to every Christian. If that were the case, there would never be any squabbles. <laughs> we would all agree on everything. But in God's wisdom, he says, you know, I'm not going to tell every Christian everything. In fact, I'm not going to tell any Christian everything. And that keeps us humble. Keeps us coming to the Lord and saying, God, I don't understand this yet. And he says, he may say, well, you're never going to understand this. I'll share it with somebody else. And then you're going to have to listen to them. Remember when, when God gave Daniel... Um, his final vision. God said to him, now, seal it up. Because basically God's saying, nobody's going to understand this until the end time. And then those who have insight will understand it. Until then, it's not going to be understood. So in Daniel chapter 12, just to read that quickly, I appreciate what the Lord's saying there. Daniel gives all of his hope that no matter... How much Greek and Hebrew you might know, or how long you've been to seminary or Bible college, nobody's going to understand it all. Daniel chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up into the end time. Many will be purged and purified and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. It's happening more and more today. It seems like the lines are just more clearly being drawn all the time. The wicked just don't understand. And they will hate us and mock us for things that just seem so clear and so good and so simple to us. But the Spirit's not working there for different reasons. But we should know that even in the body of Christ where God is working, illuminating, giving understanding, not any one person is going to have all the answers. And there are times when there's going to be a portion of Scripture that's just sealed up to us. That's okay. We take it before the Lord and say, God, in your time, let me know. Let me understand. And we continue to seek Him. It has been the constant teaching of the church that Christians are in, the, are in indispensable need of the Holy Spirit to properly understand Scripture. Martin Luther said, The Bible cannot be understood simply by study or talent. You must count on the influence of the Holy Spirit. Good for you, Martin Luther. It cannot be understood simply by study or by talent. You must count on the influence of the Holy Spirit. We should study the Word. Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved. But apart from the Spirit of God, it remains a sealed book. Paul often noted the influence of the Spirit on people understanding the Word when he wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He noted that he did not want to speak with mere human wisdom or with superiority of speech. But he said in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, 
but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So when Paul preached, he understood, unless God, you do the work, these words are just going to fall on hearts of stone. And so he prayed and he sought God that when he spoke, that it would be with the power of God's Spirit and that God would give understanding. When he wrote his first letter to the Thessalonians, he noted that their conversion indicated the, the Spirit of God at work. He said, Knowing, brethren, beloved of God, his choice of you, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. When we preached to you, we knew that God was doing something. Because our word came to you as not merely the words of men, but as the word of God. It came in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That's something only God can do. The Bible is objective truth, whether anybody believes it or not. It's still true. It is the word of God. But for our faith in it to be established... We have to have God's Spirit working in our inner man. Now, here's, you can't even talk about the Spirit of God without moving into an area of danger. Because there's so much um, tendency toward mysticism and putting too much emphasis on the Spirit apart from the Word of God. And so we, we have to keep the two wedded. The Spirit works in harmony with His Word. And because it is so easy for us to misinterpret spiritual experience, as I've said before, every spiritual experience, everything we believe that God is telling us, has to be surrendered to the objective truth of God's Word. And if there is any contradiction, we go with God's Word not with what we believe that God may be telling us if it is contradictory to God's word. That is how we stay true. It is, this, it is the word of God which examines all things. When Jesus came to earth as a man, he submitted himself to the word of God. He never violated scripture. He never did anything contrary to scripture. He lived in absolute obedience to what the word of God says. So some would say, well, then are you saying that God subjects himself to Scripture? Is God under Scripture? The answer is no, not really. But more accurately, because Scripture is God's Word, Scripture conforms to God, and God conforms to Scripture. There is never going to be any disparity between the nature of God and what he has said in his word. They are true to each other, harmonious with each other. And so we can always know if you believe that God is telling you to do something contrary to God's word, you have not heard from God. If you believe that God is telling you to do something contrary to his own nature, you are not hearing from God. Because God will not act in a way that is contradictory to himself or his word. He simply can't. But there are many examples 
where people emphasize either Scripture to the exclusion of Spirit or Spirit to the exclusion of Word. They call seminary, jokingly, cemetery. Because you go there and die spiritually. Not everybody, but many do. And the reason for that, in part, is because so many seminaries are purely academic. You don't even need your Bible in many seminaries. There are seminaries in this country where there is not a single course that you would take that you need your Bible for that course. You can go through three years, get a Master's of Divinity degree, and never need your Bible. Purely academics. And so no wonder they come out and not have any longer a, a vibrant, real faith in Jesus. It is, their faith is gone. I'm not saying they aren't saved anymore. I'm just saying there's not any living faith in their lives. Because they've approached this as just a book for all those years. That is rationalism, or sometimes dead orthodoxy, where there is no need for the Spirit in your personal life, much less in your approach to Scripture. On the other hand, where seems to be the pendulum has swung mainly today, it's emphasizing the Spirit over the Word. Great, great problems with that as well. Sometimes it's it's it, it, when it is a um, substituting church and tradition for the word. You know, I don't know a lot about the, the Jewish religion, but they have um, a book that is not scripture, but it is put on the exact same level as scripture, called the Midrash. I understand. And what they've done is they've said this is a compilation of the teachings of their rabbis for a number of centuries. And it's the rabbis who are, who are commenting on Moses and the prophets. And those rabbis' words are viewed to be as authoritative as Scripture itself. That is, re, that is putting something as a substitute for God's word. The authority of men and their interpretation. And that's, again, a tendency we can each do that. And this is, this, you know, so if, if a person's been in seminary or stands at the pulpit like I am today, there can be the temptation to think, well, he's had, he knows more than I do. He's been to seminary. And, and yet God humbles each of us because you don't have to go to seminary to understand where the Spirit, because the Spirit is the one who gives understanding. And, and truly, you can, you can come before, study God's Word, and I'm not saying there's no place for understanding basic grammar and how it works. Man, I tell you, I thank God for the, for the man in seminary in Bible college that taught us Greek diagramming. I feel like it was one of the greatest tools that was ever given to me. And it just had to diagram a sentence. I didn't get that in high school. Man, I thank the Lord for that. But you can know exactly how the sentence is diagrammed, and still not have the sense of what the Spirit is trying to say. You still miss it. And then some person who knows that doesn't even know how to spell diagram, but can read God's Word and listen to God's Spirit, sees exactly what God's trying to say. That's humbling. It's supposed to be. Keeps us in dependence upon God. The Catholics, 
Not to pick on them, but because it's, it's not isolated to the Jews and the Catholics. But they've done the same thing as the Jews, where they say there are church councils and there is a pope. And what the pope and the council say takes precedence, has authority over anyone else's understanding of Scripture. So you don't even, you have no room, no ground to question what Scripture says if your interpretation is contrary to what the Pope or the councils have said. So power for understanding God's Word lies with a select few, even one. And so therefore we have no obligation to come before God and say, God, teach me. We go before our priest and say, teach me. But we can do the same thing in any church tradition. Well, that's not the way we've always understood it. That's not the way we've always done things. And again, we are substituting God's word for tradition and for the teachings of men. Sometimes, oftentimes, we just allow, again, the experience with God's spirit to supplant the inspiration of God's word. When we do that, we've moved into a subjectivism, a mysticism that is quite dangerous. I should have brought the quote to put up on the screen that I really appreciate from A.W. Tozer. Tozer's a man I, I think really knew Jesus. He was like a prophet in his day. And I still very much appreciate reading his writings. And in one of his quotes, he says, you know, people sometimes good-naturedly and sometimes not so good-naturedly call me a mystic. Because he's a man who believed in Jesus. And it wasn't just a distant Jesus, a historical Jesus, but a living Jesus. And this living Jesus was guiding, informing, instructing him throughout his life. He came to Jesus and had a personal relationship with Jesus, so people called him a mystic. And he goes, well, this is what I would have to say about being called a mystic. If an angel from heaven would appear to me, or if I saw a bright light in the heavens that, that was shining brighter than the sun, and a voice were to speak to me, I would say to that angel, or I would say to that voice, Show me the chapter and verse in the scripture that supports what you're saying to me. And if they couldn't, or if it was contradictory to what God says in his word, he said, I would say it was not an angel and it was not God. It may have just been what I ate the night before. Good for him. There is nothing automatic about God's work of giving understanding. Owning a Bible and knowing the Greek and Hebrew is not a guarantee that you're going to understand God's Word. You have to be a child of God, and you have to approach God's Word humbly. God, teach me. As the psalmist says, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your Word. It is not automatic. If you are not yet a person who has placed his faith in Jesus Christ, I hope you have some sense of what I'm saying to you. 
that you understand and you're honest enough to say, when I look at God's word, when I look at this book, I can understand what the sentences are saying, but it does not mean anything to me. It's boring. It puts me to sleep. I never have a desire just to come to God in his word. Those things are indications that you probably are not his, that you have not yet been saved. Because the word of God tells us that the unregenerate person, the natural man, cannot and does not understand things given by the spirit of God. We need God's work. And the first thing I believe that God does for the unregenerate, the person who has not yet placed his faith in Christ, he will convict him of his sin. And he will lead him to Jesus, the only one who can remove our sin from us. Because why go beyond that? The Spirit of God convicts of sin that we might place our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And once that's taken place, then as the Spirit would choose, He will continue to give understanding in His Word that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is possible, just as the unregenerate person cannot understand the things of the Spirit, it is possible for a Christian to get to the place where God's Word bores him, doesn't speak to him anymore, has no impact upon his life. Because it is possible for a Christian, we know this from God's Word, to grieve and quench the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God is, is His primary tool for speaking into our lives is this book, then when we quench him and grieve him, then we are silencing what he is wanting to say to us from the scriptures. And we can lose all appetite and desire for God's word. Serious place to be. A number of years ago, we had a student who told me that he was saved and that God told him that he did not need to read God's word. And I'm thinking, well, why did you come to Bible school? He says, well, God told me to go to Bible school. But God's also told me I don't need to read the Bible. And I said, well, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> Start reading your Bible. And he goes, you don't have the right. And I said, well, I'm not saying I'm God, but I am saying that you're at this school. You've placed yourself under the authority of this school. And as the authority in this school, I'm telling you, start reading your Bible. Well, that doesn't mean he's going to get anything from it. And I don't even know whether he started reading his Bible or not. But it was very, very concerning to me. He complained to his dad about it. His dad said, be back me up, thankfully. But it wasn't until sometime later he wrote me and said, hey, I just want to let you know, God told me to start reading his word. And I'm getting a lot out of it. And this is a guy, see, he'd been told all of his life that he had learning disabilities and he would never learn to read well. And so that was, so it really he was using what teachers had been telling him as an excuse for not reading God's word. 
But you can be dyslexic. And he was severely dyslexic. And still understand the simple things that God is wanting to communicate through this book. I'm telling you, again, you can be the smartest guy on earth and you're not going to understand everything in this book. But you can have a very low IQ and come to this book and get what God wants you to get. There is no excuse for not being in this book and allowing God to speak to you. Sometimes, for the unbeliever, God will hide and obscure what he's trying to say. Jesus spoke in parables. Right around the middle of Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, they started saying that Jesus was performing miracles by the power of Satan. And so Jesus goes, time for parables. And he did that because he didn't want to bring more judgment upon the unbeliever. Because the more he clearly spoke the truth to them, the more they would be accountable for. And he didn't want to raise their accountability factor any more than it was already raised. Because he had already said, nobody's going to have it worse in judgment than this generation. Sodom and Gomorrah won't have it as bad in judgment as this generation will have it. And so out of mercy and grace to them, because they were spurning the light that he was given... It says in Matthew 13 that he began to speak in parables so that those who would not hear wouldn't hear more. It's a serious thing to be in a place where you cannot understand God's word. It may be a sign of God's judgment. Everything depends upon the believer responding to the light that he has. And as we respond as Christians to the light that God has given us, and even before you became a Christian, Christian, as you responded to the light that God gave you, God gives more light. The same is true when you become a Christian. When you respond to the light that God's given, God continues to give more light. And again, it's not more knowledge but it's more understanding of the person of Jesus Christ and who he is. I've taught on bibliology now for a number of years, and I have to confess, you know, just as I look at my, as my, at my cemetery notes, seminary notes, nobody ever made the connection that illumination is ultimately not to give us understanding of Scripture. That's where everybody would stop. They just say, the definition of illumination is the Spirit of God giving understanding of Scripture. And everybody stops with that. But it's giving understanding of Scripture so that we might know Jesus Christ. The Spirit is not just wanting to answer our questions about the Bible. And if He knows if our hearts are hungry for Jesus... So why would he just answer the questions when the questions are not really the issue? The issue for the Spirit is knowing Christ and walking with him. And when a heart approaches God saying, God, I want to know you. Not I want to know the answers to all my questions. I want to know you. Spirit of God says, fasten your seatbelt. You're in for a ride. He is more than willing to make himself known. To the seeking heart. We want him. 
And that refusal to listen to the Spirit of God as He wants to reveal Jesus to us not only leads the unbeliever to judgment, but can lead the Christian to God's discipline because we are grieving and quenching the activity of God's Spirit. The book of Hebrews, all those warning passages, I preached through Hebrews a few years ago. You know that I believe that every one of those is written to a Christian. And they talk about drifting from God's Word, doubting God's Word, ultimately denying God's Word. And really, it's, it's again, squelching the ministry of the Spirit as He's wanting to bring us to a deep and personal understanding of Christ. Growing in Christ as Christians. This is why He wants to open us to God's Word and God's Word to us. How do we put ourselves in that place where we will willingly receive God's work of having the Spirit give understanding of the text so that we might know Jesus Christ? It really begins with a desire to know Him and to walk with Him. You know whether that desire is there or not. And if it is not, then it begins by even one step prior. God, give me the desire. Renew the desire in me to know you, to know Jesus, and to walk with you. And if you pray that, honestly from your heart, God, I look at my heart and I see I am not wanting to know you like I once did. Renew my heart. To desire Jesus, the Spirit of God will do that. I pray you do that for our students that are coming into His Hill this week. Some of them may not even know Jesus yet. That happens. Pray that they would get saved quickly. And that they would have hungry hearts for Christ and His Word. God answers that prayer. Because he wants us to be hungry for him. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. Pray that they would hunger to know Jesus. And that we would desire the same. And when God puts that desire in you to know Jesus, it always comes with a desire for his word. Because this is where he wants us to know Jesus. You will experience the illuminating work of God as He first places the desire in you to know Him, which comes through just asking Him, and also meditating on His Word. So much in the Bible about taking time just to sit before Him with His Word. It could just be one verse. And just pause, chew on it, like a cow chewing its cud. Just take the time. Listen. Talk to God. Let God talk to you about the significance of one truth. So many things we could meditate on. Just recently I was thinking about how the Word says that we have become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amazing truth. Not by anything we've done. But he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow. Sit, think, 
Meditate. Let God speak to you through his word. When you do that, as you read God's word and the spirit of God teaches, it comes with correction, with reproof. Remember 2 Timothy 3.16? All scripture is inspired by God and it's prop for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Those are hard words. Correction, reproof, training. And so as God illumines, that's what he does. And we can pull back and say, I don't really want to be reproved right now. I was hoping for some encouragement. <laughs> God says, it's not in- if you respond to the reproof, you'll be encouraged. But we don't want the reproof. We don't want the correction, the training. We just want to be blessed. And that's the interesting thing about substituting the Spirit for the Word. Somehow, conveniently, every time the Spirit speaks, and we're not living in dependence upon what He says in His Word, it's always advantageous for us. You ever think about that? Nobody ever gets an unhappy word from the Spirit when, when they are not coming to God's Word. And I wonder sometimes if that's why we don't spend time in God's Word, because we get so many unhappy messages. Reproof, correction, conviction, training. But if I just go with the Spirit, I don't get any of that stuff. Very little of it. Come to God's Word, it's on every page. And we need to allow the Spirit of God to judge us. Because that's where the growth is going to take place. And then as God speaks, and God teaches, and God exposes, we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Begins with a yielded disposition. Our students, as you know, will be in class up to 23 hours a week. And I know every teacher comes to class saying, God, speak through me. So you think, if that is is indeed happening... 23 classes a day, I'm sorry, a week, 23 classes a week where God is speaking. There is no possible way to remember all that, much less apply it. But they can say, yes, Lord. Amen, Lord. So be it, God. And if nothing else happens but that, lives will be transformed. Because just as the understanding is from the Spirit of God, the working it into our lives and causing growth is also from the Spirit of God. And I tell you, when we read God's Word and and we are undone before God, God doesn't say, now fix the problem. (laughs) Because you're undone. You realize, I can't fix this. The problem that's in my heart. I can't fix it. And all we can do is say, here I am, Lord. Save me. Deliver me. Do the work that needs to be done. And God says, amen. I will. It's all he's looking for. Hungry heart, yielded heart, that allows him to do the work that only he can do. And other people say, man, the change is taking place in you. And you go, really? I haven't done anything. But just said, yes, 
to Jesus. Yes, Lord. And God does the work. It's an amazing thing. Supernatural book given by God who is supernatural. And he's given us in Christ the Holy Spirit that we might understand so that we might know Jesus and walk humbly with our God. What a heritage he's given us. I'll close this in prayer. We could not be more blessed, Lord, than how you have blessed us. We are needy, and all the various things, Lord, that you allow to come into our lives just expose that all the more. And we thank you for that ministry to us. Keeps us on our knees, crying out to you, God, to be our help. Because truly, our help comes from above. And it is not from anywhere on earth. We do pray, God, that as a nation, that our hearts would be turned to you. We thank you, God, for the examples of grace and love and care that are on display in the Houston areas. We pray, God, that hearts would be open to you. And that as generous as people are being with their time and resources and money, that we would also be bold in speaking of Jesus, lovingly, with compassion, but bringing people to the one who is the Savior from the true disaster of our souls, our sin. And I do pray, God, that we would come before you wanting to know Jesus, hungry, each of us, whether we are new Christians, brand new to the faith, or have been yours for decades. Renew our desire for Jesus and renew our hunger for him through a hunger for your word. And I do pray, God, that with these new students coming in soon, that their hearts would be hungry to know Christ and that you would speak to them and find yielded hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. stand.
darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, 